right, we're back at it. Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Hope all is well. We are mid-January, which, Ted, for me, it's crazy that the month is going by fast. It is the six-month mark of our little guy. He's six months old. Oh, my. Our baby, Makai. How did that happen? <laughs> How did that happen, man? I don't even know where the time is on the toilet going. yet? <laughs> no, but he needs Come to on. start, like, putting himself to bed, <laughs> feeding him. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, how you doing, brother? Oh, man, it's good. Well, you know, Yogi, it's, um, yeah, it's mid-January, which is nice because we're about 20, uh, we're, we're 25 days or so past the solstice, which I love, which means it's not getting dark at 3 o'clock. Uh, we're both in California, north and south, and the weather is, like, ridiculous. It's sick. Uh, Mary and I played golf yesterday in shorts, and, I mean, you, you know, you're out surfing. You probably don't even need a wetsuit right now. It's crazy. <laughs> But man, I got to tell you, yo, the, the football thing, and and I think you know we we'll brush a little bit on some pack stuff, but the bigger picture it, to me is fascinating. And as we, you know, probably uh, what two or three hours before we started this, came the news that Urban Meyer took the job with Jacksonville of the NFL. Now, obviously, there was so much you know brush fire about USC's possibility coming from fans slash alums slash slash subway alums so there's where okay that's out the window from the pack but to me it continues a little bit of what we touched on last week that this is i got to believe it's the most successful college coach I mean, we've had a lot of good college coaches but i think this is the most successful guy to you know doing it and winning at two different schools to then Sam GoPro. And I wonder if it isn't part of a shifting tide that we touched on last week that there's so much going on in college right now. There's so many things that the college job is so much more complex and the coaches don't have the just big word here control. They don't have the control. They don't control the rosters anymore. It's a year to year free agency in college football. And I'm wondering if this, if the Urban Meyer thing isn't a signal of that, because you know he could have walked in probably to 10 or 12 different colleges and filled in the number, and they would have hired him at some point. Instead, he goes to the pros. Yeah, it's really, uh, it, as you talk, I'm going back to revisionist history. And you know this because you've been in college and the NFL. About a decade ago, it was a world where every college or every NFL coach was saying, I got to get to college because I can sign a three year deal. And I can get paid a half a million bucks and be a coordinator, be a high-level position coach, versus everything was a one-year deal in the one-year deal in the NFL. And staff turnover was crazy. And a lot of the coaches that were call it like young families, they were like, Man, this is too crazy. Like, I want stability. And that became the thing for a little while of instead of bouncing around the league, let me go somewhere, sink my hands in. Schottenheimer, Brian Schottenheimer, who just got let go from the Seahawks. When that happened, where did he go become the offensive coordinator? Georgia, right? There was this trend of college is better. Now, he only lasted, I think, a season before kicking back to the NFL. But my point is that happened a lot when you look at the, you look at the craft. Now, to your point, I think the coaches I talked to, I'll be honest, I talked to a strength coach who was in the NFL that could have gone to Texas, could have gone to Texas, and would have killed it there for Sark. And he was like, why would I want to go when – I got a real off season, right? I'm not even talking about a coordinator or a head coach to your point. There's, but you know, the position, everybody's thinking, I think in my mind, NFL might be a little bit more attractive right now based on all of the uncertainties that are going to happen in college that you're referencing. They're just coming down the pipe, NIL, recruiting, transfer portal, all these things that are just, uh, you know, every day 
something's happening and you don't know what's happening necessarily with your best players and how they're getting recruited. College coaches have thrived on control. The great ones have all, that's the, that's the point. Um, that control is slipping. The other element that I, I can't help but think about, and I'm going to go back. It's just about 15 years now, 14 or 15 years ago, the guy that has become the most successful college coach left the NFL. Nick Saban left <laughs> and left a pretty good NFL job to take the job at Alabama. And I know. And the reason was family and the amount of time that an NFL head coach spent and devoted versus the amount of time that a college head coach devotes and spends. And as it's turned out, Nick Saban's running an NFL program. I mean, let's be honest. Um, you watch the championship game and I'm laughing. It's, I mean, both semis and finals were a joke. You have an NFL level offense NFL level offensive coordinator working with NFL level talent. What would you expect? It's not college. So, but Nick Saban did that when Charlie Weiss took the job at Notre Dame after an entire, you know, coming up from the parking lot through the ranks in the NFL, I, to my face, he said, my God, he said, I'm so, I'm home so much more in college than I ever was in the NFL. Um, I don't know how much of that one is still true because these, these conversations are 13, 14 years ago. And the second part, again, is to me, it just comes back to the loss of control. Every college coach I've ever known loves, and you love that. At least you know you control your roster. They don't control their rosters anymore. You know, we've seen it. We've talked about it. Yogi, you can't have a quarterback room anymore with three stud quarterbacks. Gone. The, college, the top college football programs from this day forward are going to be just like the NFL. You're going to have a starter, and you're going to have a backup who's a good backup, who's a smart player can run your offense can fill in the blanks for a while isn't you know obviously wants to play but isn't seething with rage that they're not playing um, because if they are they're going to transfer right <laughs> and that's the nfl people fans i think still don't get that that's the nfl the nfl coaches don't want a backup quarterback who thinks they should be playing that's that's unhealthy and you coached it's unhealthy in the room college has had that right I think it's done. I think that's done. I think that's going to be an interesting uh, question to pose when we get back on the road in camp, uh, even if it's off the record, because I, I want to find that out of, do you say, sc- not screw it, but all right, we're going to make it the most competitive cauldron. That's Bill Walsh's phrase from his big, thick book, competitive cauldron. Do we make it the most competitive environment in the history of planet earth? And if you leave, you leave, or do we get strategic? Right. And to your point, I remember talking to, uh, to me, one of the most respected voices in all college football, and I'm not going to say his name because um, he told me the story in confidence, but he said, in our quarterback room, we feel like we only have enough oxygen for three players, right? So you could have a senior, call it a retrograde sophomore and a true freshman, right? Just enough oxygen so everybody has hope that they could play. Okay, now, due to the transfer portal, like you might have enough oxygen for two, to your point, but you definitely don't have enough for five or six, right? Which is what Oregon has right now. But I wonder, A, what coaches decide to do, and then B, how do they manage it? Because if you don't manage, uh, uh, let's just call it a QB room for sake of argument, a QB room with six uh, high-level thinking alpha males, well, that's going to trickle down, and there's going to be fiefdoms. Everybody's going to be a locker room lawyer. Yeah. Versus if you manage it really well, if there's only a few guys, or if there's six guys. That I wonder. Uh, because I would bet as a coach, for me, I think if there's in tears, if I'm a mid-level program and mid-level by like college football, like historicals, 
right? Call yourself an eight-win team. Arizona State, it's a mid-level college football program, right? We know what they're doing under Herm, but historically they're not winning national championships like some of the premiers. With that said, do you coach kids just as hard knowing that maybe they do leave? Like, where is the wiggle room? What's the gray area? And that to me is, that's going to be a challenge. I, I don't know how it's going to net out and maybe it just nets out that the rich get richer and everybody else just kind of has to deal with it. And that's kind of where we are today. I think anticipating all these moves. Yeah, Miyogi, I think that's a great question that we'll find out about coaches. Cause I, I, the, the, the first thing I thought of when you laid out that scenario, senior, redshirt, sophomore, and freshman is I don't think that'll happen ever at a good program. If the redshirt sophomore is a pretty good player. And if the freshman has options, the freshman's not going to go with the freshman knows, okay, maybe I'll go sit for a year behind the senior, but I'm not going to go take my chances that the redshirt sophomore who's got two more years not going there because those quarterbacks who come out, you deal with them all the time at the elite 11. They have now seen way too many examples of guys who played at, you know, even one double a, whatever they call that now level schools, they play in the NFL because you have to be able to play. You can't, you can't make the league sitting on the bench or sitting in the film room back and being a backup. I mean, there, you know, there are, there are rare examples. Trubisky played one year at North Carolina, um, you know, we've had a one year of black and Davis Mills is going to try it now, having not played very much. I mean, Davis Mills doesn't have a whole lot of starts under his belt. He's trying to go pro. They're trying to buck the, that trend. And, and Trubisky has done it to some degree. Davis Mills, we hope does it. Uh, but to me, that's, that's a tough one. So I still think what you're going to see is that, that high, that elite 11 level or high school, you know, stud quarterback with options is going somewhere where they can play. And if they don't, it's JT Daniels. JT Daniels gets hurt. Here comes Keaton Slovis. JT's gone. He's going to go someplace where he can play, where he thinks he can play. Yeah, I'll tell you the thing that I would do, and, I, and teams have already done it, um, but I would continue to arm myself with this, is the mental skills coaching for when kids come in. Because yeah. here's what's going to happen with NIL, and here's what's going to happen with the transfer portal, in my opinion, is let's just say we have our example, senior starter, which is rare anyway, but let's just pretend we're like UCLA. We got a senior starter, Dorian Thompson Robinson, as we talked before, and he's coming back for his fourth year at UCLA. Uh, let's just say you have Chase Griffin, accomplished backup, right? Who's going to be in his third year in the program. And then you got a talented freshman, right? Which they're going to have. To me, um, you have to manage the expectations of the young player coming in because we've seen it. You've seen it in the NFL and in college that for every Trevor Lawrence or for every, um, Jalen Hurts, who started as a true freshman, went to a national championship game. There's 20 other freshmen that have already transferred because they didn't play. And I don't know if they'll ever go play. I just don't know. Like, here's an, Ty Evans is a guy who nobody on this podcast will know, who I love, by the way. He was committed to Colorado for a long time, ended up going to NC State when they made the coaching change because Kurt Roper went to NC State. And now he's playing for Jake Spavadol at Texas State, Right. He may have gone in, and, and I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but the freshmen will come in and think they're a dude. And then when they're not, their external world is telling them they're so good, but the reality in the building is telling them they're not ready. So that young man needs to be prepared to deal with reality of, I'm not ready yet to thrive in major college football. I could make a couple throws off my back foot. I could throw a couple Hail Marys and be celebrated, but when I watch the film, 
I never processed actual football like we talked about on the podcast last week. So I, I think that if I'm a coach, I'm, we're talking through this on this podcast, I would probably go so hard as a truth teller to be like, this is how I'm going to get you to play well, not just play. And what do you want to do? You want to get paid? You want to play well. Because if you just – lots of guys can just go play catch. I say it every freaking game we broadcast. You play catch or you play quarterback. And I want, we're hyper-specific on a position. But that, to me, is going to be a major area because I see these 15-year-olds. They DM me all the time. Their dads DM me all the time. How do I get my kid a scally? My kid's the next Josh Rosen, Sam Darnold, et cetera. Dude, maybe, but it's not about trying to get brand deals for him because of NIL right now. It's about him understanding a system right now. And that, to me, is going to be a major crossroads in college football and recruiting when all this stuff gets going in a few months. I'm thinking of, you know, you said Josh Rosen, and um, who uh, sat on the bench for the 49ers the last two weeks of the year because they were they needed a quarterback. They needed a body. So they went and got Josh. I think he was in Tampa. I think he was on their practice squad. And, uh, and you think, you know, of all the buildup that Josh had, and there's, I mean, there's no shot. I don't know what he's going to end up. You know, he'll be obviously free to sign with whomever for 2021. And who was before him at UCLA? Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley who in week 17, when Arizona needed to win to make the playoffs and Kyler Murray couldn't play, they went to a guy from the Canadian league, not Brett Hundley. Brett Hundley's the third guy there. So basically Brett Hundley's never going to play in the NFL is what I'm saying. That's he's had five or six years now in the league and it's not going to happen for him for whatever reason. Um, so that's to me, you know, uh, given that they made the playoffs, we've had a lot of this big picture conversation in our little world, Notre Dame, has had a heck of a run under Brian Kelly. I mean, they've had an amazing run, except for one year. One year they went four and eight. And their quarterback that year was Deshaun Kaiser, who was the only quarterback that has been drafted off Brian Kelly's 10 years at Notre Dame. Isn't that amazing? Wow. They had one quarterback drafted, and that was by far the worst year, four and eight. Wow. You know, I, I, saw, I ran into him in the airport about heading up to San Francisco, for, I think it was the last week of the season. And, uh, you know, we're all masked up and it's like, Deshaun, Yogi. And we sat down and talked for about 90 minutes because wow. our flight was, flights were delayed. And it was so interesting to talk to him because, and, and as a Notre Dame alum and anybody who followed his career, on one hand, on one word, you could be like, yep, uh, didn't play NFL boss, whatever. Now he's still competing to get back into the league this year because he got he's injured in the offseason. He's old. That's what's hard exactly. to do. And on the other hand, he fully took advantage of Notre Dame in a good way in terms of he's building a business right now. He's using all the connections of Notre Dame. So again, I go back to, and I just wrote this down that the percentage of players going to the NFL, no matter what NIL does, no matter what the portal does, that's not going to change. And the, the longevity of careers in the NFL, that percentage is not going to change, right? There's a great article in April, Toby Gerhardt wrote in the New York Times. I read it today because it was in my stack of articles I've been meaning to read for a year. And it was amazing because he talked about how he thought he was going to play forever. It lasted about six seasons, got hurt a couple of times, and it was done. And he got his, he's, getting his, he's about to finish his MBA at Stanford. So again, to the players that are listening, the numbers and the percentage of success will not alter. It will not alter. The amount of quarterbacks being drafted will not alter. Like those things will be constant as, as the history of the NFL continues. So what can you control, which is how am I going to take advantage of my experience? 
I say this to schools all the time, man. This is my last point where I, I'm kind of on a rant here. I, I talk to a lot of schools in the Pac-12 around NIL and what they're doing, and I give them my two cents on whatever for whatever that's worth. And a lot of it is when you talk to your players or incoming recruits on NIL, please don't talk to them about the $500 Instagram post. I do that. I get those for coffee, right? And you know how much work it is to get that deal and then to execute that deal and film that little Instagram post and then to invoice them. It's a pain in the ass for me. And I'm 39 years old, <laughs> right? And it's not a lot of money, big yeah. picture. Like I get what 500 does when you're in college, but my point is, why don't you build a business like Sam Ellinger did at Texas? Why don't you build a business like Andrew Luck did when he was at Stanford? Why don't you really sink your teeth into the experience of college and to better your name, image, and likeness for a long period of time? And I think now might be a time for, because every team says it, but to really double down on it. And, uh, and I hope that happens, especially in our conference, because the academic institutions are as, as gifted as, as we know them to be. Yeah, and that, and that, Yogi, so let's pivot a little bit to NIL off that because that's what I, I do think you make a great point. And I didn't know that about Kaiser. I'm really happy to hear that. I know Toby, I've seen him around, so I know that the NBA, but there will be exceptions to what I've said. Uh, yeah. Obviously, there always are exceptions and the exceptions are going to be the people that are smart enough to say, I'm going to the school as well as the football. And I will use both. And our conference right now, has the most sterling example I've seen in years on the basketball side at Stanford, Oscar De Silva from Germany, who is right now one of the two or three best players. In the, he's a senior, and he's one of the two or three best players right now in the conference. And he's been studying for three years in the most pioneering stem cell research lab on the Stanford campus. So that's his academic pursuit as well as his athletic pursuit, and he's excelling at both. So my point is there will be players – football that in our case that will say, I'm going to go to a, a, a standout school, a school that has a field that I can pursue as well as my sport. And they will not be prone to jumping around the portal and going to five schools in four years or whatever. You know, there will be exceptions to that. Thank goodness. I fear that there'll be more that do that than don't that yeah. more that do the jumping around. That's my fear is that we'll have more that do the jumping around and fewer examples of the ones we mentioned. We should we should bring on um, in one of our next couple of podcasts, uh, like Rob Mullins, friends at Oregon, their yeah. athletic director, because I think what like they're doing with their NIL program, like they they know what they're selling there, right? It's obviously school academics, but also like what the swoosh does, right? You want to be a designer, you want to develop that type of your element of your career, like I think their the schools of Silicon that, Valley and most. It's their version. Take That's it. right. It's like and everybody's embracing it. I think it'd be cool to hear from because look. You and I, uh, we're connected, we're intelligent, but these people live it every day. Like they've had this dialogue for a long time. So I think it'd be fun to hear from them on how do you plan to operate within the new environment? And what I think, my last point, we saw the NCAA, as of at least today, say we're going to delay, possibly delay our decision on NIL for another year. Yeah. And we also heard Cory Booker completely say, do not do that. We're going to make sure we take this thing to the highest level. So who knows how it nets out. But, man, I could feel players being like, we all know it's coming. Let's just make it happen. And I, and I hope it does happen in the near future. Do you think, I'm sorry, Yo, do you think if it does happen sooner, it will, it will slow the tide? Because we've had a lot of guys leaving. A lot of guys are saying, and I think it's partly due to the uncertainty of college football in the COVID era. They're saying, I'm out and I'm going pro. 
Would the NIL slow that? I thought it would have, right? But we saw so many players leave that I was like, like, especially at Stanford, right? We saw a lot of people leave that I was like, whoa, like Connor Weddington left. And, you know, you referenced Davis Mills. And we saw some players leave that I thought were fringe guys. I think a lot of it is like COVID fatigue. And I've been on campus for four years. Um, I kind of want to go. I think NIL will do that. Um, Like Dorian would have been, will be a perfect example, you know? Dorian, I don't think would have gotten, he was not a high draft pick at quarterback in my evaluation as of today. Uh, but he's got a chance to come back in LA, be a face of a team that, you know, I talked to a coach yesterday last night, like they got a real chance to turn the corner this year. You know, I, I think they do. And he'll be at the forefront of that. So I, I do think that guys will think it through. The, the problem and the why to me it's delayed is <laughs> there needs to be guardrails, right? It can't be, it, we know what, it's going to be a, I don't want to say it's going to be a, a mess, but it's, I can't imagine it being like buttoned up from the beginning. You know, like I think there'll be restrictions on like, Hey, if I'm a Nike school, maybe a player can't get a deal with a competitive category, for instance, in NIL, but you're going to be allowed to have an agent. You're going to be allowed to have somebody do deals for you. Like who's policing all that? That, that to me is why I think you do need more time, but the players are not they're not down with that. Like, the no, they're like not, that's your job. That's why all the adults, you get exactly. paid all this money to figure it out, figure it out. So I, I just think it's going to be a really interesting 18 months in college athletics, specifically football and hoops. And I think that's the, um, and there's a couple of athletic directors I know in the ACC that have dealt with this issue front and center in the whole NIL conversation over the last two years is what you touched on is the recruiting problem is that, you know, some kid who, who decides to go to Oregon state, and suddenly has a good year or two years, and now an SEC school saying, jump in the portal, let's go, because you come here and my car dealer is going to give you X, and you know the, the local burger joint will do Y, and then the life insurance company wants you to rep them is going to give you Y, and suddenly X, Y, and Z add up, and you're going, okay. I mean, that's, and every, it's, it's obvious, I'm not... This is not deep thinking. It's obvious. It's been out there. And I know the athletic directors have all worried about this is that that becomes part of, you know, what has been long fought under the table now becomes out in the open. And this is a way you're going to have, you get 40 grand a year in your NIL. Why not go here and play? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I hope there's some guide rails, not only on NIL, but even the portal. Like I talked to a coach the other day um, and, you know, schools are making quarterback changes, right? Like, if you need one, you can go get one in the portal. And some are saying, well, let's just, should we wait till after spring ball now? Like, because the, the amount of players in the portal is dramatically higher. Granted, it's a COVID year with the extra eligibility. There's a big reason why. I mean, Katie Nixon entered the portal from Colorado, for crying out loud. Mm-hmm. I never saw that one coming, man. Never in a million years. Like, the, the way he represented that school. And I sent him a note last night, like, hey, let's stay connected. And he, he was great about it. Um, I didn't ask him why or anything like that. Uh, but regardless, I am, um, yeah, I'm just worried about like, you know, anything can happen anytime. Like you realistically could take a quarterback August 20th from one team in training camp and he could start for you. Cause as long as you're not in school and then you look at the quarter schools, it could be even later. So that part, I, I'd, I wish there was like a calendar where like, okay, you get to make your moves you know, in between this date and that date, and then your rosters are set and you go and who knows. Well, that's, uh, you know, that would be one of the things because that's what the pros have. I mean, the pros have free agency, but there are 
rules because it's negotiated between a union (laughs) and and management. If there is a union, which is what you know, because they came to the PAC 12 and threw a bunch of stuff on the table. And most of us rolled our eyes at some of the more outlandish things. And now Cory Booker's fronting the same exact set of proposals that are outlandish just because if that ever were to happen, that's a union. You're a union now. And you could negotiate those restrictions. But sadly, as we saw, not sadly, because it worked out for this person, but from the competitive standpoint, we saw it with Jake Hayner in Washington, where you don't get the job. And three days before week game one, I'm out of here. And now, you know, that's not great. It's not great for Washington football. It wound up being good for Jake Hayner. So, okay. But that's the stuff we're talking about. Those are the guardrails that you want right now. I don't know how you can possibly get, you can't get the the conferences and the schools within to agree on anything. So how are we going to get five conference, major conferences to get together and agree on that? I don't know. I'm glad I'm not in the room, but we get to observe, which, which will be fun. All right. Uh, so who's we, found, who's found quarterbacks? Well, uh, yeah, I want to, I want to talk about a quarterback because I think this is huge news and not getting enough play nationally. Ari Patu, who I love this kid's story. Uh, he signed at Stanford. He's going to be the first. There's two players that have enrolled at Stanford as mid-year enrollees. He's one of the two. Obviously, you referenced Davis Mills leaving early. But even if Davis came back, uh, adding Ari to the quarterback room is going to be a benefit to that program. But mid-year, I want you to talk about that a little bit, Ted, because you've lived Stanford much greater than I have. And getting mid-year enrollees is basically normal everywhere in college football, except at Stanford. And now they, they made it happen. It's, it's, it's definitely something I know a lot about. Um, Stanford, interestingly enough, is not a four-year school. Um, another school that has had long resisted the mid-year entry and finally broke down probably 10 years ago, but was, is to this day structured like a high school. It's a four-year institution is Notre Dame. And interestingly, there was a coach who left Stanford to go to Notre Dame a few years back. And Tyrone Willingham had, in his years at Stanford, done very well with pretty much blanket redshirt. Tyrone was a blanket redshirt guy. A rare exception did he play a freshman. Um, and Stanford was very cool with that. Well, he went to Notre Dame, and that to this day, Notre Dame does not do that. They do not blanket redshirt. You, the, you wind up getting extra years of eligibility. That happens. But just to immediately come in and say 22 of my 25 signees are redshirting does not happen. Um, what Tyrone tried very hard to get was the mid-year because that was just starting at the top. And Notre Dame said no. Now, eventually they post that later on. They did crack. Uh, Stanford has long allowed the redshirting thing. You can take five years, no problem. It's been used successfully by every Stanford coach. The mid-year thing is different. And to me, it's just simply this. It's a, it's, it's a, I don't know if it's subtle, but it's a statement by the university about football. And I would think that everybody within football will accept it as such. And I'm sure the coaches are smiling about that statement. We take football seriously. And, you know, we, we've heard David say it for a decade and before him, Harbaugh said it, you know, we're not there to be six and six. It's not the point here. We're trying to, you know, it's, the old Ivy League adage, if we choose to participate, then we strive to excel, right? I mean, that's, you know, you've heard that forever. Well, Stanford's football never was really that way until Harbaugh and now into David. And they're very much, it's been 15 years now, by the way, 
They're very much that way. So that's how I took it. It's a positive step for them. Yeah. I'm so pumped for them. And, you know, our, our guy, Ryan McGrady, of course, you know, in the recruiting office, um, it's awesome. And, and Ari, remember the name, remember the name Ari Patuik. Did he play this year? No, he, uh, maybe he could, but he shouldn't. Tanner McKee is going to be a star. He and Jack West will compete for the job. Um, I think Tanner is from what I've talked to the staff, they're, they're really excited about him. Just like they were excited about Davis when he was going and KJ, when he was young, Tanner, I think could, his ceiling is higher than both of those guys. And Ari is different than anyone David Charles ever recruited. This is a true dual threat guy who can, who can deal. Yeah. Right, he's got a, he's about six, four, he's only about one ninety now, but he'll put the weight on the strength on, and now he'll learn the ball. And, you know, he comes from a football family. His brother plays linebacker at Cal. His dad played for a while. His mom was an athlete in college. Um, just an awesome kid. Uh, but you also asked like who else got a quarterback? Who else found a quarterback? So Washington state who, who would have thought they would be even the market for a quarterback, right? right? We watched them play a true freshman out of the state of Hawaii last year who's just dealing and in comes Jarrett Guarantano who I've known since he was in high school from Tennessee uh and a chance to connect with him as he was going through his process and and to be fully transparent I talked to a lot of these guys and I say the first thing I'm never going to guide you where to go but I'll tell you my opinion on whatever you want to ask and you make your decision and he asked a lot about uh multiple teams in our conference uh, and he asked a lot about Washington State. So we got to go through the offense, which you know, I played in this offense. I love this offense. Uh, and, and when he got to meet Coach Rolovich uh, virtually and uh, Craig Stutzman, their quarterback coach, and Coach Smith, their OC, I mean, he just was like, this is going to be fun. And if you look at this team and Jarrett, just to give you some background, he had two head coaches and four offensive coordinators. Four offensive coordinators. Still in college for four years, yeah. you know? I mean, that is kind of nuts. Yeah. And he's had his fair share of up and downs. I'll sound critical of Tennessee's program, and that's okay, but they are out of touch with reality, yep. which is most fan bases, but definitely that one. Um, and he loved his experience there after talking to him. But this was a really good change for him. And he is 6'4", 230. I mean, he will look like a dude. And I think I'll project him to start which I, you know, he hasn't played a practice yet there. And they just had a freshman who lit it up. I think he's going to be great for him. I think he's going to be amazing for the young quarterback they have in terms of just teaching him how to be a vet, be an years, NFL player. How many years does he have? One. He has one year. Yeah. yeah. So Jaden Delora, who is, has three years left to play. You know, then Four years, five years. Really? Well, I mean, I'm sorry, that's this right. year didn't count. No, that's right. That's right. So therefore there should be some incentive for him to stay. Yes. If he, if he thrives, if he likes Nick Rolovich and thrives in the run and shoot to stay, it's only one year. Now the, 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 the other human element that comes into this in my mind is trust. Because if you're, if you're Delora and you played as a freshman, now do you trust that this isn't going to happen to me again next year? It's a fair question. I, I think for me, Knowing Coach Rolo like I have. And look, Jared Quarantano has not been named the starter Washington State. Let's right. be clear, right? Like, he's got to go do all that. I'm sure it'll be a great battle. And either way, he's going to make Jane Delora dramatically better at, at just the craft. I just think that Coach Rolo's got – when you talk to players that played for him, 
they rave about the player's coach that he is. And not in terms of like the rah-rah, have a great time, but in terms of like he, he thinks about the players first. And I know like, granted, there was like a big story, obviously, this offseason about him around COVID and we are united, et cetera. But uh, I, I've known this guy for 15 plus years. He is as connected to players as any coach I've been around in college. Like he really is. He is a former player. He is a former quarterback. So I, I bet he's managed it brilliantly. Um, him and his and Jaden knowing that relationship dating all the way back to Hawaii, obviously, you know, when he was the head coach at the University of Hawaii recruiting him, I think he'll be fine. And I think, I hope that Jane Delora looks at this and says, all right, now let's go compete because they don't have anybody else. Everybody else has hit the portal at that position or has graduated. So now I got to go compete. Or I, I guess you may anticipate them hitting the portal. Who knows what happens with Gunnar Cruz? Uh, who knows what happens with Cam Cooper? Um, but you, I, I would anticipate everybody not being on that roster by the time we get to next season. Where is Utah? So Utah is interesting. They brought in a transfer quarterback out of Baylor who started last year, Charlie Brewer. And they also had a quarterback start the first game of the season that they're really excited about a former transfer out of the state of tech or out of Texas from Southern, from, from California. So I, I right. don't You're know. You're talking about rising, right? Yeah. Cam rising. Right. Right. And the young man who did start for them, the transfer from South Carolina, Jake Bentley is no longer there. I don't, not sure if he's landed in the portal yet, but I know he entered the portal. And I think for me, like Kai Whittingham has never been afraid to bring in guys at any position to go compete. I mean, look at, look at quarterback or at running back. Yeah. They brought in Ty Jordan, rest in peace. Well, they also recruited one of the top running backs in California and Jordan Wilmore the previous year, who we all thought would be the dude there. Yeah. So I, I think that Kyle is kind of like, prove it. Let's see what you got, whether it's Cam Rising or Charlie Brewer. And yeah. I've, I, I'm, I guess that one didn't shock me as much as uh, the Washington State one initially. Right. All right. And now Arizona, is Gunnell still – I mean, when the new coach comes in, I'm thinking, does Gunnell change his mind and come back? So I don't know if it's official, but I definitely have seen on his social media that he's in Memphis, Tennessee right now. Gunnell is, okay. I don't know if he's officially a member of that program. Um, I don't think he's coming back. I've gone back and forth with him. I don't anticipate that, uh, which, you know, he made that decision. Uh, I do know, though, that Jed Fish has done a phenomenal job of bringing guys back from the portal. He went and brought back Jamari Joyner, who I think is an all-conference wide receiver. Wow. Who hit the portal. He was a former quarterback from Tucson. Right, right. Now he's back. There's numerous guys he's brought back. Um, I've heard from a lot of the local media there in the last week because Jed's done a lot of one-on-ones, and they're like, I get it now. This guy's really good. You know? <laughs> so I, I think the roster, that the too deep day one when he had the job versus the too deep now, even if it's projected, are dramatically different because more guys are on the team. Right. So – I don't think Grant is in the mix to come back. Uh, I do anticipate Arizona getting a quarterback, though, um, in the portal. They're in the mix for one. I love their staff. You look at offensive coordinator, and it's Brennan Carroll, one of my closest friends. We've talked about that. Jimmy Doherty comes over from UCLA. Right. I talked to him the other day. He's so excited to be there and also so grateful for what he said he learned from Chip. Um, defensively, Don Brown, who you know, and you look at that staff with Chuck Cecil and Ricky Hundley. They did a nice job building that thing out. And I think for Arizona fans, as I talked to Jim Thornby often, our researcher at PAC 12 and Arizona alum, when the hire was made, he was like, oh, who is this guy? And now you see the staff and you're like, yep. Okay. I'm in. 
because of what Jed has done in that regard. Wow, man. Well, that's it's kind of great. And and the, the other good news that we saw, you mentioned Jimmy Doherty leaving UCLA. Chip Kelly made Jerry Neuheisel the wide receivers coach. So Jerry Neuheisel continues on that amazing track of defined genetics. Good for him. <laughs> totally, man. I, I'm really excited for him. See if Rick he, listens. <laughs> totally. Because Jerry was like, when he came out, he was thinking about doing what we do, what his dad does currently, which is broadcast, right? He had the chops to do it, of course. And he has, I have such affinity for young graduate assistants because he was um, like, uh, you know, an off the field assistant and then a graduate assistant. He's just, he's just paid his dues. He really has. And then I love when coaches pull from within, you know, especially at the skill positions, it's easy to go get somebody else, but he elevated somebody that's he trained how to speak, how to talk, how to teach. I, I'm a, I love that. And of course the name and Jerry and UCLA and his hair and all that stuff is amazing narrative for us on TV, but on the coaching front, I'm really excited when young guys get an opportunity to elevate within a, a stable program with leadership like Chip. Uh, for all the criticism he gets, I'm, I'm a big fan of the culture of that building, having been there a ton and excited for Jerry and the addition to it. And Yogi, it's great. I mean, they, they went against the grain with so many people leaving. Uh, they had a bunch of players say they're coming back, including Quentin Lake, big defender, and Dorian Thompson Robinson. That was, to me, I was, I was, you know, just really happy obviously for UCLA, but just happy to see some players saying, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stick this out. Yeah. And even Quantrez Knight, he was a safety transfer yeah. from Kent state who we saw against ASU two years ago in their opener on a Thursday, you know, this is a talented player. I think he was even invited to one of the, one of the bowls. It wasn't the senior bowl, but one of the bowls he was invited to, and he decided to come back. Um, and again, I just go to, I talked to a coach on their staff earlier this week. I do think they're that team that can turn the corner. Like could, this could be an eight, nine, one team next year. And, and they're doing well in recruiting. I mean, you go back and look at recruiting for the nerds like ourselves in recruiting early signing day is it's called early signing period because it's a 72 hour window. So chip got a lot of guys in hours like 36 and 52 and 71 that nobody talked about versus the first 12 hours when we were recovering this oh, thing. Okay. So he did a nice job flipping a couple of guys from Michigan, uh, getting some other guys from different parts of the country as well as California. So I, I might be in the minority, but I, I believe in, in what they're doing. When you look at the totality of the turnover that Chip had to deal with when he got there, mm-hmm. over 80 players left uh, in some fashion. You know, it was a brand new team, yeah. brand new team. Which Chip been through that in the pros, so he – you know, he was, he was prepared for it, but I understand your point. Now, we're trying to keep these as close to 30 as we can. We bled past, but there's one more bigger picture that we finish on because in some way it's going to affect the Pac-12. The other interesting news of the last, since we last talked, new contract for Jim Harbaugh at Michigan. And it involved a significant reduction in his base pay. The chance through incentives basically if the team wins he'll make the rest of that money back but that's a big if and the other point to me yogi that was just and i i think it's been dramatically underreported the buyout dramatically yes. reduced buyout and we have seen two examples auburn 21 million and Texas 25 million. And I'm just going off the reports, but that's been widely reported. Those two numbers um, that at any period of time, 
but my God, in the middle of a pandemic, that is just grotesque, grotesque. And I understand the agents don't want to hear that. And I understand the coaches don't want to hear that. It just is. Just call it what it is. And to me, that is done. That is over. Now, there will be, again, exceptions because there are certain schools in college that are basically playing pro football and they won't care. Uh, But I think that I give Michigan credit for being the first school to step up on a big stage with a high-profile coach and say, you know, we're not going there anymore. That's not going to happen here. And I thought that, I mean, you know, it's, it's everything everybody could read the landscape for Jim Harbaugh wasn't what it was when he went there. It's certainly not what he expected it to be. And so he adjusted properly. He's still going to be extremely well compensated, but the school is no longer hamstrung by an absurd buyout clause. And I just think that's going to take place. I don't know, even know what the schools in this conference deal with in that regard, but those numbers that we saw from Texas and Auburn, just, they're just wrong, just wrong. Yeah, I, I've got a bunch of thoughts on that, um, but I'll try to be brief. You know, Sark just hired a special teams coordinator and paid him a million bucks, you know, and I just think that there are, like every profession, there's the one percenters. There are coaches, Nick Saban being one of them. There are leaders. There are play callers. There are some that are like, yeah, they're elite. They're savants. They have the full package. And then there's a lot of really talented coaches. So to me, what I hope happens in college football is I hope there's a big reset when we see the, the next layer of contracts. And I think the Michigan thing would be categorized as a reset, right? He's not, you're not paying Jim Harbaugh a million and a half bucks a year, which I think head coaches would take if that was just the bar and that's all they got to do, but that's not reality. But they did change the game a little bit. And I think that is how it's going to be reset. I think you'll start seeing athletic directors get creative and just be like, cool, if you want to leave, leave, leave. Like a great example is Mel Tucker right at Colorado. So he's there and he's getting paid fine and he gets paid a ridiculous amount of money to go to Michigan state. I, the, the knee jerk reaction was like, Oh my God, Colorado can't pay Mel Tucker. How about didn't want to pay Mel Tucker? I don't know that. Or should, and I don't know that, but my point is that like, he hasn't proven to be any, a a one percenter. He, He he's, he's, he's a leader. He's got all those traits that you need to have as a head coach, but unproven right and i would take coaches that have won eight games i still don't think you're worth five million dollars a year if that's going to cripple an athletic department i just don't think so and if that's what you need to 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 get paid and that's what you need to leverage then go be about that and that's cool go get that wherever you need to get that but i i i think what's going to happen in the profession is it's going to get a little bit more realistic uh, around reality of the finances on a college campus because you're gonna have to pay for the management of nil you have to pay for how do you deal with the management of your app? Like there's a lot of stuff that you're going to want to get paid versus the extra million dollars that maybe you may be competing for in your salary. So that's my take on it, man. Well, here's I'm curious. Yeah. And here, here's maybe the last point for years we've heard and we've known coaches. So we've known coaches in this conference that have done it, that have gone in after successful years repeatedly to try to get more years and more money tacked on knowing they're in a, leverage position. Uh, and the point has always been, well, we can't recruit if they don't think I'm going to be here for another four or five years. That's done. What players yeah, stay they- for four or five years? Who's coming? What players coming to Michigan of any repute thinking I'm playing four or five years here? None. 
So that to me, that win, that's out the window. And so my point is, I and please let me be clear, I have zero problem with a with a person earning what the market will pay them. What I have a significant problem with is the anchor of a buyout. That is just wrong. And you sign a contract, and if somebody chooses not to have you work anymore, pay off the contract. Whatever the contract is, that's valid. But the buyout stuff is just, and of course, colleges have done it because they've all had the sugar daddies that are willing to write the checks to pay them off. That's why Sark can pay. He's at Texas. That's going to be one of those exception schools to what I've said. We know that. Um, I, I just think the argument that I need this contract to be able to recruit. No, you don't. Go on. Yeah. And I wonder too, and I'm with you. Like I love when, you know, our friends get paid as coaches, like go get paid, man. Like Amen. I hope you, Amen. but I don't know what is the value of a million dollars Let's just say this. Let's just say I am a coordinator and I'm making one five, which is a real thing in college football now. And I'm also a coordinator making 750, which is a real thing in college football, a more traditional thing in college football. Like, what does the extra $750,000 get you? Does it get you 10 more touchdowns? Does it get you three more recruits? Like, no, it's what the market has bared for you to go get as that play caller. I don't think. Like there's so many more wins in coach X or coach Y in some instances. Yes. Like I referenced in the one percenters, but I just don't, I, I think there's so many good coaches that don't get opportunities to call plays or to be head coaches that they'll be just fine. If somebody wants to leave to a place that can, you know, roll out the truck and, and give them a million plus to, to coach a position or be a coordinator. And, and I think a athletic departments are going to, are going to bet on that. I, I'd be curious to see what ADs would say, but that's, that's where my gut goes. Cause I think, I think there's a lot of talented coaches that are not in the limelight in coaching based on where the limelight goes in coaching. And the other, the last part maybe for me on this is that you told the story about special teams at Texas. It trickles all the way down when we're talking about the top programs and the coach is unfettered. For example, Harbaugh, when he got to Michigan was in a great position, hired people away. I know some of the people he hired away doubled their salaries. Well, and, and you, you feel nothing but good for these people. And they're people that no one's ever heard of. So it's not, this is not, it's not a public thing. But if you do that times 100, right? And now suddenly your program starts running and you're cutting sports and you're thinking, look at what football spending. I mean, it's just, so the, um, I guess the point maybe ultimately to me is everything in college athletics is interconnected. Yeah. Everything. So when Stanford decides they're dropping 11 sports and there's a massive hue and cry, you know, especially in California, given our mindset here about that. um, And you look at what football spends, that's where the hue and cry comes from. But the revenue that helps support those sports to begin with that kept them going is coming from football. Hence, hence this. Amen. 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 All, All right. right. All right. So we're going to shut it down, but we'd be remiss. Big congratulations to Andy Avalos, new head coach at Boise State, former DC at Oregon. We'll see what they do in that regard. I'm sure that'll be handled by the time we get come back here next week. We'll also start working on some guests for the off season. We also have signing day part two coming up in two weeks. So that happens on February 3rd. Uh, so yeah, there's a lot to talk about. And if you're looking for something good to watch, Go to the CW, watch my new show. It's called All American that's it. Stories. Well, You'll be inspired. That's it. That's the last thing I was going to say was congratulations, Yogi. Um, your show was spectacular. The first episode of All American Stories, four terrific stories. 
Uh, and the next one is? February 1st. So, so we'll make sure we promote it pr- properly next next episode. No, we will. But Feb 1 on the CW, set your DVR. You can set your DVRs, All American Stories. It'll record every episode. And, uh, and I know because you've already done a film, uh, but you had to feel like you gave birth when you oh, saw that on the screen. I slept well after birthing that, that bad boy. I, I always, always said in storytelling, and you know this too, it ain't real till you see it on the screen. You could have all the paperwork done. You could have filmed. I filmed the whole documentary. We'll talk about this next time on Jed Fish and the University of Miami for training camp. And it never saw the light of day. That's a tease for next week's episode. All right, man. We need, we need, we need a, well, we'll figure it out. We have to distribution plan for that. Totally. Let's get, totally. I know, I know a guy that might be able to fund the distribution plan, Jed. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. All right, lots more to talk about. Thanks for all the comments and for listening. We appreciate it. It's Ted Robinson. I'm Yogi Roth. Stay safe. We'll talk to you soon. It's Ted and Yogi's Pac-12 Adventure. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.